At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling, folks. I'm Thomas Watson, resident trucking expert here at Freightways. It's Tuesday, so that means it is our once-a-week podcast slash show. One of these days, we're going to get the budget and go full 90 minutes, but right now, 26 minutes doing the Lord's work. But super fun topic today. One of them is going to be, it's called ghost lanes and the cost associated with them. For those of you who don't know, you can have an RFP where you get lanes that are tendered to you, and they simply don't exist or ever materialize. And for a lot of carries something that's not very well discussed it's just something you typically have to deal with and so recent research coming in super excited to be talking with uh angie accicello she's a postdoctoral researcher at tilburg university and researcher with the mit center of transportation and logistics also one of the authors on this angie super super excited to have you back on i know we talked a little bit about optimization last time but for for folks unaware tell us about what kind of prompted you all to look into these ghost lanes yeah. So first of all, thanks thanks for having me back. It's great to be back. Um, the reason we looked into this is because I do a lot of work on procurement in full truckload, and we wanted to get a sense of how important is the uh, the RFP, right? How, how do we make this process better? And we started looking into, well, what should actually be procured? What should actually go out to contract and what should maybe go to spot? And that's kind of how we're framing uh, a lot of this research and and how we kind of stumbled across these ghost lanes and how kind of scary frequently they're happening. And I think we have a chart that actually shows the frequency of ghost lanes. I took it from your working paper. This kind of shocked me because it looks to me, and this is highlighted in orange, that a majority of these lanes in an RFP appear to be either one-offs or unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, we this is across years, across um, industries for shippers, as many shippers being uh, being shown here. 70% on average, 70% of lanes that are that are procured end up not being used are these ghost lanes, right? So that's that's something when we're thinking about how how big is the RFP that we, we're doing, we're spending months on this process, 70% of the process maybe doesn't need to happen, right? So can we maybe think about how we, are there impacts for having them and can we think about removing them from the, from the bid? I like your point because when we talk with people on RFPs, one of their goals is they just want to digitize it. They want to make sure that it can be done quicker. We're going to reduce the cycle. But nobody so far within the space has actually asked the question, should you put all 2,300 lanes that you've ever ran before uh, when potentially you only need to really bid out for 500? Is that something where when when you're presenting these findings and you're working with these customers and carriers, is that kind of a known thing or is it more of, holy cow, I haven't thought of this before. Yeah, I the the shocked faces and the gasps that I sometimes get from from presenting this to customers is um, hasn't gotten old yet, because I think a lot of people haven't thought about it. Um, And so there are a number of shippers that I've spoken to that have started to implement this idea of 
you know, what can we carve out and what should we just kind of leave and maybe procure later or leave to spot? Um, And those that are successfully doing it are saying, you know, not only is our process kind of easier now when we're not putting all thousands of lanes into the RFP, but now I can actually focus more on the lanes that are important, right? I can think about having real better accurate forecasts on the important lanes, communicating that better with my carriers, having those discussions on the important aspects or these important segments of your of your network, and then really making sure that that those lanes are working well and getting rid of the, the things that don't matter. And we do have a chart as well on what a ghost lane is. I got to pull it up on the phone because I can't read that far. But uh, one of the big things is a planned lane. It was awarded in a bid and at least one load is tendered, which is typically even what FreightWaves looks at. We're looking at contracted lanes that are tendered. But the ghost lane is interested because uh, not only is it a situation where someone's bid on it, but they're never tendering the lane. Is this something where when you're looking at building and trying to define it, um, it, do they typically show up eventually or maybe like near the second half or are these situations where this thing just is is bid for there's a raid on fire the carrier expects to get this stuff and then they're just literally ghosted for the entire year yeah so we actually were very strict in the definition of the ghost lane not only did it not show up at all but not even one load right so it's not even like you know maybe i thought it was going to be some amount of volume but less materialized it's nothing at all so we were very strict with that and that's still that 70% right which is what's so shocking that that is i i think that's something that we need to holler from the rooftops because uh the, this whenever i did rfps and we did lane analysis even at a large carrier it was kind of understood that sometimes lanes wouldn't show up but i can only imagine a smaller carrier or a broker who thinks this is a great idea and lines somebody up what are some of the aspects we'll start with the carriers first and what happens to them then we can hammer you know head to the shippers impact but as a carrier what kind of disruptions did you all notice whenever they're assuming this stuff is going to be sent and then what happens yeah. So the main thing is that it's introducing a lot of uncertainty in the carrier's network, right? So they're trying when they're running their or, or responding to bids, they're trying to build a network. So if these these lanes aren't built, aren't actually materializing, it's going to disrupt their network. Their inbound and outbound lanes are going to be affected, particularly if they're also they still have trucks coming in, right? Then they have to think about re- repositioning. Um, so not only are they not getting the the revenue that they expected potentially, so that's impacting their financials. It's disrupting their networks and actually adding operational costs to them as well. So yeah, the, this is yeah. going to be a big impact, right? This is all carriers are trying to do is really balance their networks, and this is the the crux of what they're they're trying to do, and that that really speaks to how important these lanes can be for them. And you all have done excellent research on carrier and uh, shipper behaviors in the past, goldfish versus elephants. And I do think that these things almost lead into each other because uh, when we talk about contracted rates not having an enforceable mechanism, would this be one of the potential reasons why carriers uh, are not you know, always apt to trust what they're getting from the shipper? And on the same side, the shipper is basically getting an assurance that, well, you're going to be there if I need you, but they'll be you know, I may not give you an incumbency if you don't try to take these lanes that I'm never going to offer you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the the previous research that we talked about last time I was here was about reciprocity through these market cycles, right? So our carriers, what are carriers responding to? The main thing that we find across all the research that I do is this consistency of demand, the frequency of demand. That's what carriers really 
need to be able to, to trust when they're building their networks and working with shippers. And so this is just yet another way where maybe it's, you know, the, the things we looked at in the past were when demand is materializing, how volatile is that volume? Now it's not happening at all. And so this is just another aspect of where this is, this is really what hits carriers the most. And they, they don't have a whole lot of power to do anything about it because shippers are the ones with the business, right? And so carriers are just responding in the best ways that they possibly can. Um, but we do, the, you know, my research is showing that there's, there are some repercussions for shippers um, because carriers can't always, uh, you know, can't always prioritize these shippers when they're really impacting their operations. And let's dive into some of the repercussions, because I can imagine me being a transportation manager, hypothetically, uh, I don't want to get yelled at by my boss. I'm going to include everything in the RFP. And now this problem is solved, so I don't have to go on the spot market. What are some of the repercussions and potential uh, lost opportunities when you just do that blanket RFP without trying to be a little more strategic? Yeah, so what we find is that, so I followed shipper carrier pairs year to year, and I was trying to see if in one year, how much ghosting happens between that shipper and carrier. And then in that year, how does carriers acceptance rates look for those sh those shippers? And how does contract prices look the next year for those shippers and carrier pairs? And so we find that the, the shippers with the higher ghost rates for carriers, those carriers have lower acceptance rates. So they're deprioritizing that shipper's volume across the rest of their network. Um, and we have higher contract prices the following year. So now they've really identified or they're, they're, they felt the uncertainty that this, this shipper has in their networks. And so they're actually adding more uh, cost to kind of cover the risk that they incur by working with the shipper the following year. So it's lower prioritized freight and higher costs with that ship with that carrier later on. And I think that uh, the paper also outlines the potential to identify spot market opportunities. Some of these lanes could potentially go on the spot. Some of them could stay contract. What are some of the criteria and have any shippers, when you presented these findings, made any adjustments to say, oh, you're right, let's pair this thing back and then I'm going to work with maybe some 3PLs to help cover this overflow? Yeah. So we looked at um, some of the characteristics of ghost lanes, right? So can we kind of look at, predict if they're going to happen before they happen? Um, and of those lanes that are likely to be ghost lanes, kind of what is their contract price to spot price if they had materialized? Kind of a counterfactual analysis, right? So we found that the most likely lanes to be ghost lanes are going to be new, meaning they haven't been procured the previous year. Um, that also speaks to the kind of uncertainty in the amount of demand that's going to materialize, right? So probably not enough information for the carrier to even, you know, know how much they should plan for. So new lanes are most likely to be ghost lanes. And then there's also lanes that were procured last year, but were also ghost lanes the last year. So it's all, we're also seeing this kind of recurring uh, process where shippers are just throwing everything back in. Everything I bid last year, I'll just bid again. So we know those contract those types of lanes that are likely to be ghost lanes. So then we looked at okay the contract price in that year that it became a ghost lane relative to if demand had materialized, it's anywhere from twenty to thirty percent higher than the spot price anyway, right? So this is showing we should have just relied on the spot market anyway for whatever demand did materialize, um, and then that leads to potentially either staying in the spot market if demand is not very high, waiting until the next annual RFP or maybe more frequent bidding, right? Maybe you just start to start a contract, send out that, those lanes as they materialize um, and get a contract price that's maybe more, more um, competitive than what you would have earlier on when you didn't have information. 
Yeah. And I think that even when I was a freight broker, that was one of the big challenges and priorities was uh, you wanted consistency. But also whenever you had those sporadic ones, you actually had to upcharge because you couldn't always reliably find a person. And uh, that's been one of the big conversations that uh, drivers get angry about is they wonder, why do we, why do freight brokers exist? Why do they get around? It's like, well, because uh, I spoke with Andrew Silver about this uh, uh, on Sirius yesterday. And he had such a great point, which is I haven't heard before. Um, you're also taking the highs and the lows. So if I got that for like like 8500 and now I'm losing money, I have to deal with it, not not the carrier. Uh, so when we're when we're thinking of those kinds of, of strategies and priorities, we have carriers and shippers. Was there any kind of research done or examinations for brokerages, or are they also kind of, when from a researcher standpoint, a modified form of carrier, which then finds smaller carriers? So I explicitly look at brokers and asset-based carriers differently. In this research, it didn't seem that they're... Well, we found that brokers are more likely to get ghost lanes. Um, Again, this might be a way that shippers tend to think about brokers as kind of a... They know brokers are a little bit better at handling uncertainty, right? They know that that brokers are going to be able to handle these highs and lows better than an asset carrier. So we do see that in this research. I also see in some other research... Um, when I look at asset carriers versus brokers differently, it's very clear that brokers it, it can handle these these infrequent, these volatile lanes much better. And we actually see that in a completely different study that I was looking at, just the differences between the two. Um, and also during market cycles, right? Brokers are going to be able to cover demand um, throughout the market cycles because of this capacity pooling that they're able to do. And looking at market cycles in terms of like the RFP, in addition to changing shipper behaviors, is, is this something where has any of the research shown that maybe if we're depending upon the, the market cycle, shippers would still want to purposefully do ghost lanes as a strategy? Or if a market cycle like right now, capacity is very cheap, would it benefit them to throw more on the spot and then naturally rein it in if they're worried about price? Do we see opportunistic uh, trends yet in the data or is it something that, uh, you know, it's ongoing. Yeah. So actually I do see that these, we see these ghost lanes happening, being procured more often when the RFP is during a soft market, actually. So what what this is actually happening, what's happening here is this tendency for business units to hedge their budgets. So when I know markets are good, when I know that, you know, prices are probably lower during my RFP, let me add some more lanes in, lock in prices so that I know when market shifts and prices are going to go up, I have a little bit more wiggle room that, you know, I've maybe I'm relying on higher price carriers, but I've already kind of budgeted that in because I have all these lanes that I've procured that aren't actually materializing. So we actually see ghost lanes happening more during soft markets to kind of boost the budget, the transportation budget, and add a little bit of wiggle room for markets going forward if, if and when they do tighten. So that's like a fungibility. I didn't, I didn't consider that before. You'd purposely want to get quotes and then have a potential budget for those lanes, knowing that you may never tender them because it'll insulate you when we move on the upswing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what we see in other other um, industries as well. Um, so this and this is also something that, you know, it's when budgets are not so tight, right? During a soft market, you don't have to think so much about, well, what should I really be uh, budgeting for what should I really be putting in this RFP? So there's it also speaks to this tendency to just kind of throw everything in. It's not as big a deal when when markets are soft. It's not so much of a, a, a pain point for for companies. 
And as well, I was curious because we we hear a lot of times from executives, shippers, and carriers. There's a lot of uncertainty moving into Q4. Feels like there's a lot of uncertainty overall about these volumes. And so, you know, as you're working on and gaining this data, uh, has the needs, uh, especially over the course of the research, has any of the customer needs or demands or their interest in certain types of this data changed? Uh, because I know that the research has been ongoing. Uh, I think the paper was from uh, 2022. Have you seen any change in terms of how partnerships and how uh, you know the interactions have been as you're working through this. Yeah, I think the the one of the things that comes up a lot is one of the things we said earlier, which is just trying to identify within my own company what is my ghost rate, how much am I ghosting my carriers. Um, so that I think has been the the most uh, enlightening piece of this is that that shippers aren't haven't really thought about it to to a great extent. Most of the, the shippers that I've talked to. The other thing that comes up a little bit is in this um, gamification of the procurement process. So, you know, trying to understand why are, you know, why are shippers including ghost lanes and, and recurring ghost lanes, right? Um, trying to understand the behavior behavioral elements to it, right? And some of it com- also comes down, or some of the conversation that I've had that have come out of it is a lot about, you know, well, what should I be telling my carriers during the RFP and vice versa from carriers? How do I interpret the information that shippers are giving to me? So, you know, there is a tendency from the shipper side to inflate volumes on lanes, even if those lanes do materialize, um, in order for carriers to, to take those lanes seriously. And carriers also kind of inflate their capacity, their bidding, you know, more than they actually have capacity for because they know they're not going to win everything. So I think it's an interesting conversation that's come out about it of, you know, I, I you know, as a shipper, I'm, I'm including these lanes because the, the system is set up such that I need to cover my risk. Um, and maybe it's okay to have some additional, you know, ghost lanes in the, there because at the end of the day, it's an additional cost maybe that I'm willing to pay in order to mitigate some of the risk I otherwise wouldn't incur. Um, so, so there's a lot of conversation about, well, okay, there's, this is happening at a a high rate. Um, we want to make sure that we know why it's happening. So there's a lot of conversation about that. And then there's a question of, well, maybe this is just how it has to be. Right. And so what I'm trying to get at is, well, you know, there are real costs associated that are not just financial, but then the reputational side of things. And so that, that piece where I'm, I'm interested in, continue to explore and hear more about, right? If anyone is is interested in sharing more about, you know, this gamification of the process of, yes, to some extent, there's an incentive from both sides to to not share the the enough full information with each other um, because of the way the other one is is kind of playing the game. Um, and so what I would like to to help with is okay, how do we incentivize both sides to actually share the right information so that they can actually respond and and get rid of some of this this excess risk that maybe is not necessary. I completely agree. I remember when I was a large carrier, we'd have issues where RFPs, uh, you go through cycles, you'd have mixes. I imagine RFPs with 20 to 50 customers of the various sizes. And you would automatically assume that, oh, well, they say 70 loads per week, but in the beginning, it can be like 30. And in the end, it can be like 50 to 60. And then you're having to, it's like a cascading effect. The next customer you bid, you're trying to offset based on how you believe they did it in the past. And then you lead to service issues. One thing I think will be interesting, especially from a research standpoint, 
is examining the relationship between what's the percentages of the fungibility of the lane volumes offered. And then on the carrier side, my favorite term is called the working tractor percentage because the carriers due to breakdown, maintenance, reseeding drivers, their stated capacity is never gonna be 100%. It's fungible, maybe 10 to 15% of total capacity offered could be in shop or out of position. I do wonder if that's kind of a thing where this gamification rose up because if a shipper knew that maybe 85% of my 5,000 trucks was really good, they would probably be a little bit worried, you know, and then vice versa. Yeah, no, that's great. In fact, you know, I mostly work with shippers. I mostly have access to shipper data. So if there are some carriers out there that that want to work with me and, and do some research on kind of, yeah, the, the, you know, how much capacity is actually on the road, how much of your fleet is actually available, and then how do you bid on, you know, what you're seeing from a procurement stance. Um, I think that's very interesting as well. And I do have a question on index-linked contracts. Uh, I know FreightWaves had recently, we're making some uh, moves. We've also got a lot more partnerships in the works to make an index-linked contract. But one of the things I'm curious about is, has that been a conversation among shippers as well as some of the reason for these ghost lanes is I don't know what I should be paying. And I not a lot of people like to share this data. Like, P&G can't just call up Home Depot and say, hey, man, how, you know, what you paying for? How much are you paying for this? Is that data and visibility also a reason why it's it's safer from like a, a game theory standpoint to screw over some of the carriers? Because you know that if you don't, you could be taking advantage on the, the other side on the spot. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And, and you know, the, the index based contracts, we can have a whole nother conversation on. But I think you're right. A lot of it is trying to figure out what is the right price for my lane for my freight, right? That's the, that's the never ending question that everyone has. Um, I think where where I would suggest we, we, we learn from this research is, you know, yes, everyone knows that the, the RFP very, very often shippers may just be trying to get a sense of the market, right? That, that is that we definitely see that, um, and trying to just get a sense of, well, how much should my freight cost? Um, but the difference here is that yes, you can do that. And, and, you know, maybe perhaps waste carriers time bidding on those lanes. But then once you set a contract and set an expectation of, of volume, set an awarded volume, um, or maybe you don't even have an award about it, but just set a contract and expectation. That's when you start to have these potential repercussions with carriers. So, you know, is it is it good or bad to be trying to test the waters and see what your prices are? That maybe is is not something this research can necessarily say you you should or should not be doing. But once you set a contract, that's when you start setting expectations for carriers. And that's when you start to have these potential repercussions, not just cost, but reputation, relational um, costs as well. I've, I've seen that on both ends because I was at a carrier that you'd have some customers that you would uh, basically prioritize everything for and then other customers because in the past they've held your trailers, they've had problems, then you just begrudgingly have to acquiesce them. Um, looking looking forward, got a little bit of time left. Uh, one thing that I am kind of curious about is... Um, how this could apply in the future. Has this been a situation where the, the definition of a regular RFP we typically think of as one year, uh, you know, it can be rolling depending upon your mix. Uh, is this something where have we seen changes or recommendations to where customers want to speed up or shorten the process? Or is this still a situation where a lot of the RFPs you're looking at are your typical one year, one and done, deal with it next year, just because of the complexity and haggling involved? Yeah, I think so. What I've tried to do as I've been presenting this research and others is get a, a sense of surveying and get a sense of how frequently are you doing your your bids, right? The standard annual bid is still the the norm. 
but more and more we're seeing, you know, 30 day contracts, 90 day contracts, things like that. And more um, about kind of specific segments of the, of your network, right? So maybe, you know, in a particular region, you have seasonality. And so rather than setting a contract for a full year, um, you only set the contract for the amount, you know, the days where you know you have this this seasonality. So I do see a trend in that direction. I also see a trend in um, being more willing to use spot strategically. So maybe never planning on put a, putting a contract in. So maybe you still have your annual procurement cycles, but you never put a contract in for these very low volume um, lanes or you have more of an internal spot auction with your core carriers or something like this. Um, so I see a couple different directions. Yes, shorter contracts, more maybe more frequent continuous procurement as one direction, um, and another being actually just relying on the spot market more frequently um, as as the strategy. Of course, it has its internal repercussions. You brought up earlier, you know, the the needing to just have a rate on file and and making sure that you set your budgets and and your management and, and procurement have those numbers. Um, but is there a way to kind of put a number around the strategic spot and potentially this research also showing that, you know, you may have lower costs. As I said, these ghost lanes, the contracts on ghost lanes are higher than, than spot. So can we have some look back at your own internal data and show, you know, those contract rates probably weren't the best for what, what we could have been paying anyway. Final thoughts here. This is an anecdotal. I want to see if you've been hearing the same stuff. Uh, part of the more brokerages are getting access and more spot is being awarded. I wonder if that's a byproduct of the two years of pandemic disruptions where you get used to working with them. It used to just be I'd rather prefer carriers for my mix. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the thing is both sides, both shippers and carriers are typically very responsive to the market. And so if using a broker has been beneficial for the last couple of years, that's going to be something that they're going to continue to do. I do think though that brokers are used this opportunity, had this opportunity to demonstrate that they can, they're, you know, they're not a, a, a last resort provider, right? They really can add value and they've demonstrated that. So I, I think that shift may be, um, you know, more permanent than just falling back to old patterns before COVID. Definitely agree. Uh, Angie, so much. Always a pleasure just to have you on. Thank you so much as well for coming on. If folks want to reach out more, get involved with the research or get in contact, what's the best way? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also email me at uh, acocella, A-C-O-C-E-L-L-A at MIT.edu. Pleasure again to catch up. Looking forward to your next research as well. Uh, we'll definitely talk again soon. Thanks so much, Thomas. That's going to be a wrap for today's show, but don't worry, we're going to be back at 1 p.m. next Tuesday. If you happen to miss this, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube on the FreightWaves channel. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for today, but as always, join us next week. We'll do it live. <laughs>